Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. It's episode 593, and we've got a real friend of the show, a personal friend, um, lead... Um, instructor at LinkedIn Learning, a philosopher, and a well-known internet personality. That's what I'm sure you resent me saying that, but he is. We've got Morton Ranhanderson with us. So, Morton, (laughs) (laughs) would you like to give a a quick 10, 20 intro about yourself? Well, you just did, so. Yeah, this whole Stephen. You pretty much covered all the bases. Yeah, Stephen, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Yeah, my name is Stephen Souter. Um, I am none of those things, but I do run a small little company called Zipfish, uh, and we optimize WordPress speeds both on the server and on your site. And what we're going to be discussing in this episode, we're going to be discussing ethics and big tech. Really, the two things probably don't go together. But Morton agreed to come on the show. It's been something that he's been passionate about for a while. And I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic discussion. Um, But before we do that, I just want to mention one of my main sponsors. And that is um, Custos. And Custos, if you're looking to go into podcasting, you need a platform that will send your episodes in RSS feed. And that's what Custos does. It basically hosts the audio file and then it distributes it through a RSS feed to things like iTunes, Spotify, um, Google Play. Um, and it also provides a host of other services that if you're into podcasting yourself or for clients, you're going to find really useful um, it's got. They've got a fantastic interface. Um, when I moved to them, um, I actually paid for the service out of my own pocket. And then through discussing them, they said that they would be interested in being the main sponsor of the show. I've just been delighted with their service. And you should go and have a look if you're interested in becoming a podcaster for yourself or for your clients. So, Morton, with our with our Friday roundtable show, increasingly um, it, se- it seems like a Groundhog Day episode because we seem to be talking in almost every Friday show about some tech company that has got themselves into hot waters when it comes to Ethics. This Friday, for example, we're going to be talking about Basecamp and their suicidal journey in into self implosion through a lack of probably insight and ethics. Um, do you see a general pattern here, or do you think it's just the general madness of of every age? Only a small, only a small question. Bolton. Yeah, uh, I mean, that particular situation is not just—it's not just. Sorry, I have a very itchy 
tag in my shirt. Um, that's it. That particular situation is not merely an issue of uh, a lack of a ethics framework for that company. That is uh, an issue of uh, a lot of things that just coalesced into one enormous problem very rapidly. Uh, they pass, I would say a pass-field ball that was just waiting for a lance to burst it. Well, if you look at, if you try to take a step back from base camp specifically and look at the type of issue that they're running into, right? They're, they're, it all starts with a discussion around uh, diversity and inclusion and the reality that we, the world is, or the world, and specifically North American uh, and Western European world, and in more, even more specifically, the tech world, is only now really coming to terms with the fact that uh, diversity is a value that you need to apply to your company if you're going to have any type of success. But um, if you push forward towards any kind of diversity or inclusion, it will feel to people who have had enormous privileges since the beginning as if their rights are being taken away. Um, and uh, it, it manifests in many different forms. One of them is that we start becoming more aware of what our language is doing to people and how a lot of the cultural language we use, a lot of the jokes and uh, you know colloquialisms and everything we use in our everyday language actually creates an othering system where you say that this is funny because it applies to people who don't look like us or people who don't believe in the same God as us or people who somehow don't belong in our in-group. And um, when those issues are brought up, a lot of people, because they've grown up in a society where this is considered to be the norm, feel like now we are being attacked for just being who we are. And there's a... The, the movement towards diversity and inclusion is to say, maybe that culture is broken in some way. And we need to take a step back and look at our own culture and see if our culture is somehow harmful to other people. And I'm not saying our people as in me specifically or a group I'm belonging to. I'm saying every single person needs to look at this because uh, human beings are wired to be, to group people into stereotypes and stereotyping of people is actually the reason why we're able to function in society as a whole. The problem is when we have stereotyping that becomes automatically negative. So you say like, because people look or look or behave or present in a certain way, we attribute to them traits that don't actually have anything to do with the fact that they look or behave a certain way. Then we are running into a situation where uh, you get implicit bias and over time systemic bias, and then you end up where we are today. Now, what is happening in Western culture specifically, what is happening in tech culture even more specifically, is that when these issues are raised, the people that are sitting in power positions feel like they are, someone is trying to take their power away and that that power was somehow uh, divine to them because through their amazing work, right? Um, and in the tech world in particular, we often hear this term uh, meritocracy, which is used to say that, you know, the reason why you bubble to the top is because you are the best at what you do and through merit. Uh, but any research into like any and all research into meritocracy shows that that is not at all what is happening. It's mainly luck 
and people who are willing to step on other people to get to where they're going. And um, there's this really good quote from, uh, um, oh, what's his name? I can't remember. But he basically says that, I'll, I'll, I'll remember in a second. But he says that um, meritocracy is, the, uh, is when people inhale too deeply of their own success. Uh, it's basically like, you may have had some success and then other people helped you step up, but then you're, you choose to be unaware that other people helped you. Right. Um, and in all that, we end up in a situation where you kind of have the powerful resisting any type of change because any type of change would mean stepping away from some power. And what they're not realizing is stepping away from some power means letting other people in. And those other people may actually contribute in ways that previously were unavailable. Right. Uh, and if you have insufficient policy around this and insufficient insight and insufficient culture around these types of issues to be able to discuss them in a rational way internally in a company or internally in any type of culture, you end up with what you have in that situation, which is when the discussion starts, it gets too heated immediately because people aren't used to discussing these types of issues and they don't have the language and they don't have the social structures to be able to have discussions about things like values without starting passing value judgments on each other. And then everything collapses. And then you get someone who says, no, 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 we're just not going to talk about this at all. Because if we talk about it, people start fighting. And then they shut down communication. And then all the people who feel like that was the first time they ever got to voice their opinion feel like they're being excluded even more than before. And all the people that feel like that discussion was somehow infringing on their rights to be the best they can be feel like those people who say, hey, that was the first time I ever got to talk about it are attacking their you know, values. And then you have a complete implosion. And all of that is to say, there is a systemic issue in our society, and especially in our current society, of not being able to have cognate conversations about these types of issues because we're way too quick to pass value judgments onto other people. And you hear this all the time when, like, if someone says, um, uh, if someone brings up any kind of diversity or inclusion or anti racism or any of that thing, and you have a person who is deeply conservative in the room, they will immediately label them a social justice warrior and then nullify the conversation and say, everything you say is irrelevant simply because you fall into this bucket. And in doing so, they're effectively saying, this conversation is not a conversation. I am not listening to anything you're saying. We're just not going to have this conversation at all. I'm just going to keep throwing labels on you. And then you have the same thing from the other side that they will say, well, you're just a conservative or you're just like, what is it? What is the new term they're using? Uh, the uh, instead of RNCs, the RQC, like people who are so Republican, they're in the Q spectrum, right? <laughs> and in doing that, they're being like, they're labeling people as like, you are just inherently evil or stupid, and therefore we're not going to have, a, we can't have a meaningful conversation with you. And the entire conversation just breaks down. And uh, what's needed, I think, is for everyone to start applying this very old term, which is solidarity to their communication, to say that I am with you in this. Especially if you're working in the same company, you are actually in something together. And you need to be able to extend solidarity to other people and also extend grace to other people and say, what we're discovering here in our conversation is that we live two entirely separate lives where there is almost no overlap except for the fact that we work in the same space. And this is an opportunity for each of us to learn about the other person's lived experience and then accept the other person's lived experience as a true description of their lived experience. So when someone says things like, um, 
I don't feel safe doing X. Instead of saying, well, that's big, like, I don't feel like that, so therefore you must be wrong, or I don't believe you, or you're part of some giant conspiracy to do whatever, say, oh, tell me more about that. Because that is a window into someone else's lived experience. And it's really interesting because if you look at um, this whole concept of things like harm, you'll discover that if you have someone who says they're being harmed, you can always have another person saying that didn't happen, right? And you actually need a third party in that conversation to be able to judge whether or not something really happened. Because in the way that humans think is that every person can have a completely separate experience of the same thing. Is that whole, you know, four blind men are presented with an elephant and like there's a, it's a snake, no, it's a tree, no, it's a wall, right? Unless you have a third party an observer who is completely impartial to it, you won't be able to pass any type of meaningful judgment that can be accepted by the rest of the world. But that requires that that third party is willing to be an impartial observer. And that's super hard to do in a society where we are polarizing everything and very rapidly passing value to people. Uh, I think that's, uh, before I throw it over to Stephen, I think that's my observation of that last comment is very relevant because people would say that social media has been one of the major tools that has polarized and it's been used as a magnifying glass for a situation that's become even more toxic so Stephen over to you and I feel like so much has been said uh there's like so many different pieces to dive into there but um I think something that I've been wrestling and thinking around a lot is this idea of prejudging somebody based on like, like the idea that they're espousing, like you're just saying, like, you know, they start saying something conservative that maybe has like a really good point and you automatically just like dump them into, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Q camp or whatever, like, oh, like whatever that comes next, like has no relevance. Uh, or uh, whether you're profiling somebody based on ethnicity or race or visual appearance, like all of those things, there, there are some things that are like higher, like more hot topic button issues um, and for good reasons, um, but like they all boil down to the exact same thing that you are like looking at something or you're hearing something and you make a bunch of judgments after that. Um, but the crazy thing to me is that that's like, as people, that is what is inside of our nature. Like mm-hmm. that's how we're supposed to work, right? We can't function without categorizing and without, um, putting people into boxes and to be able to navigate through the world. And that doesn't justify somebody from doing that. We like, you need to figure out how to draw lines around that, but where do you draw that line? Because you can't just say like, no, don't categorize anything ever treat every human being exactly the same. So, you know, somebody who walks into a store with a gun, like, Oh no, I'm just going to treat him like another human and not a threat. Like, like, well, that's too far. Cause that's a crazy example, yeah. but like there, there's a line well, is it that is because- good. And the line is bad. It's not, though, because if you walk into a store and a person walks into a store with a gun, there are certain situations where you'd be like, this is normal, I have no problem with it. It depends on what they're wearing. If they are wearing something that presents like a police uniform, you're like, that's fine. Heavily armed person walking around the store, I have no problem with that. If it's someone who's wearing like hunting gear and is carrying a rifle, you're probably going to be like, 
interesting choice, probably not very legal, but I'm less concerned about this person like doing something. If it's someone who's dressed like I am right now, right? Like a, if I walk in with my hoodie up and sunglasses, basically like <laughs> someone said, when I walk outside and I have a hoodie on and sunglasses and my mask, uh, <laughs> apparently I appear extremely intimidating to some people. <laughs> uh, like this huge guy who basically is unidentifiable. If I walked like that and I had a weapon on me of any kind, people would be super concerned, right? Yeah. Because you're, it's the wrong context. And that's exactly the stereotyping thing, right? Now, I just want to recommend to the eight people listening, there's a book called Blind Spot by um, uh, a bunch of different authors. It's a nonfiction book. There's a whole section in that book about stereotypes and how stereotypes work in the world and how stereotyping is the sorting mechanism we use for everything. Like, it, 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 like when we talk about stereotypes, we always think immediately like, um, stereotypes is say you see a person who looks a certain way in the world and then you make value judgments about that person. In reality, stereotyping is like, I hold up something like this. And then your brain immediately goes, eh, longish thing, kind of tapered on one side, probably a pen, right? That's, that's stereotyping. It's like you, you have a categorization system where you very rapidly try to put things in boxes. Yeah. Um, and for humans, there's like, I think it's seven stereotype traits that you use and using those seven types, you can categorize every person in the world, right? And it's, it's this super interesting thing where if you are talking about, if you want to describe someone in the world, so you, like, you observed something happening on the street and you want to describe it to another person, there are these immediate things you hit, right? You say like, you start by saying how big they were, like, because you can sort of judge age by size. Right. You, you then describe probably their presented gender because you look at people who are like this person presents as male or female. Right. And then you say, like, this looks like a woman or looks like a man to my understanding of what that is. And then you you go to other very de defining characteristics like the color of their hair, the color of their skin, the color of their eyes. But in doing so, you're not actually saying anything about the quality of the person or their values. All you're saying is the picture I have in my head right now is this. And the way that it got classified in my head is tick, 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 down into this category, right? The problem then is if you go down that rung and then the second you say had dark skin color, a bunch of other things attached to it, like probably something, you know, like if you... When you do this, it's like uh, they've done all these tests where they say like you, you just show people pictures of black and white people and then people have negative value judgments about black people just by and it, it even happens with black people. There's another book called Whistling Vivaldi, which is super interesting that talks about how um, people will internalize the stereotypes that or the negative stereotypes that are given to their group to the point where they will actually underperform as long as they're aware of it. And they've done tests where, for example, um, they have athletes, like track and field athletes, where they remind a white track and field athletes that white track and field athletes tend to underperform in competition with black athletes by virtue of being white. And the white athletes will underperform more than they normally do just by being reminded that there is a value judgment stereotype applied to their group. Whereas if they are told that in this particular test, even though you are white, that stereotype does not apply in this circumstance because this is a test that somehow invalidates all that stuff. They will overperform 
So our internalized value judgments based on what we think other people think about our group impacts what we think. And that's yeah. when it's like, when we talk about things like diversity and inclusion, you realize that this is systemic in a much deeper sense than simply saying, you know, oh, society is evil for grouping people. This goes into our personal and personal internalized systems. And the reason why we need to do things like make sure that all groups are equally represented in boards or even just in advertising on TV or any type of situation where people can see themselves in that same situation is precisely this, that if people internalize a specific type of stereotype uh, that applies to themselves, they will underperform in situations where they shouldn't simply because they think that they are carrying the burden of proving that their group is better than whatever stereotype it says. So it's directly harmful to people. And this is one of those, you start a conversation about the like making fun of people's names, right? And it seems like, oh, you're just not being fun anymore. In reality, what you're talking about is when we do this on a systemic basis, people internalize these types of attitudes to the point where they are not able to function to their best in society. And that is what we need to turn, right? So this very superficial conversation is actually about the nature of how humans behave. And how right. we, uh, we need to go for our break, actually, and then when we come back, I've got some more questions. Hopefully, uh, Maltzen can stay on for some bonus content as well. Um, we'll be back in a few moments. LaunchFlows turns your WooCommerce website into a selling machine. We make it easy to create gorgeous sales funnels, no friction checkouts, order bumps, upsells, downsells, and much more. Gain full control over your buyer's journey from the top of your WooCommerce sales funnel all the way to the bottom. Best of all, you can use your favorite page builder, such as Elementor, Divi, Beaver Builder, Gutenberg, or one of the high-converting templates we've included inside. Get rid of the clunky WooCommerce shop pages and checkout process in favor of an optimized buyer flow that instantly increases conversions and makes you more money. LaunchFlows provides one-click order bumps that increase the total value of every sale with a 10 to 30% conversion rate. This is perfect for anyone offering complimentary products, training, or extended warranties. With unlimited upsells and downsells, your buyer's journey doesn't need to end at the checkout. Instead, we make it easy to display a series of additional offers as part of the original transaction. This is perfect for one-time offers, related products, mastermind class offers, high-ticket software sales, or subscription supplements. Not an expert? Don't worry, we've got the training and the consultation you need. WP Launchify will teach you how to get the most out of launch flows with personal consultation on WordPress, WooCommerce, marketing automation, and much more. If you want to earn more money with your WooCommerce online business, you owe it to yourself to try launch flows today. We're coming back. We've had a bit of a discussion of ethics and base camp. Um, before we go into the other part, the other section of the show, I just want to tell you about a webinar that we're going to be doing on the 14th of May. That's Friday the 14th at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's going to be me with um, Spencer, and we're um, Spencer Forum of Launch Flows. We're going to be talking about 
how you use WordPress to build a modern marketing optimization flow that can compete with the best like ClickFunnels and all the SaaS products for yourself and for your clients. And you can join us to ask questions live. Um, it's going to be pushed onto the WP Tonic YouTube channel. To get reminders, um, all you have to do is go to the WP Tonic website. There's a big button that says webinar in the main navigation. You click that. <coughs> you just give your <coughs> name and address and name and email and you'll be given reminders when um, the show goes live on the 14th. It should be fantastic. Spencer is very informative, and we're going to be going in all aspects. Now, on to the second part. Um, kind of leads on, you know, big tech, Facebook, Google, um, even Amazon, they all seem to be having some major problems lately. Um, lately? With, um, well, um, the it just, yes, you're, you're totally correct, but it just seems the intensity and the public focus around big tech and mm. their involvement in social media and other issues seems recently, since since the pandemic, seems to have focused even a lot more. First of all, would you agree with that? And secondly, can you give some of your own personal insights why you think, if you do agree with my statement, why this is happening? Okay, so... I have to do this first. So I work for LinkedIn, which is Microsoft. And none of what I say in any way reflects the opinions or is a statement on behalf of my employer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Legal disclaimer, blah, 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 blah. Right? I am a, uh, I'm in a position where I get to talk to people about things, but you have to understand that I'm talking purely as my own opinion and not as that of anyone else, nor a representative of, et cetera. Um, uh, that's it. I'm not going to speak about Microsoft or LinkedIn in any context because of my employment, because that would be extremely unethical and problematic and not trustworthy or anything else. Um, and I also don't want to speak specifically about any other company because I don't have the insight specifically into any of those things. But what I'll say is what is happening is what I warned about like five years ago at a conference talk, that if we don't do something internally in our community. Well, in I just wanted to interrupt. I just want to slightly interrupt. That's why I asked you to come on the show to talk about this, because you have consistently for a substantial period of time been warning about this. And at the beginning, um, I think you were kind of poo-pooed a bit. Um, but but um, to be honest, I didn't poo-poo you, but I think um, there were some people that poo-pooed you. But what you were talking about six years ago has kind of solidified, really. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought I needed to do that. No, that's fair. It's What is happening is the tech sector, and especially the internet-based tech sector, which is, what, 20-something years old now, right, in any meaningful shape, um, has uh, operated in this uh, unrealistic world of uh, value neutrality since, the, since its inception. And in that it says, we just build products 
we are not responsible for what happens to those products and how people use those products and what consequences those products have on the world. And that's a, an understandable sentiment if you are building a GitHub repo for some random thing that will be used by eight people. If you are building a tool that's used by 40 million websites, that's absurd because you are changing the lives of 40 million people, right? And then every person that they interact with is also changed. Um, if you are building a social media tool that uh, is used by the majority of the world, uh, and then every decision you make is a decision that is world-changing by definition. And the bizarre part about this is all the companies that build these types of tools and all the organizations and communities that build these types of tools are very quick to tell you that what they are doing is extremely important and changes people's lives for the better until you say, but what about all these negative consequences? At which point they go, no, 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 we're not responsible for any of the consequences of our tools. People use them however they want to. That's not our responsibility. We just make software, right? So there's this complete, this like the messaging they're sending is like this all the time. They keep talking against themselves. What is happening now is because we are not doing the job of regulating ourselves, of taking responsibility for what we build, governments are doing it, right? Because they have to, because they can see in their own populace what is happening when these tools are used in ways that they shouldn't be. Um, when you have a terrorist who live streams an attack on the internet and the platforms it is live streams streamed on are aware it's happening, but don't shut it down until after the event is over. Due to red tape, there's a serious problem. But underneath that, there's a serious problem in that this, the tech world has built the tools necessary and the communities necessary for someone to be radicalized into thinking that that is something that you should be doing in the first place. Um, and what's happening now is due to the lack of will by the tech companies to take on this responsibility, governments are coming in and saying, okay, you're not doing it, so we're going to force you. And um, you should actually have Heather Burns on at some point to talk about this, because what is happening is the, the governments, so we're talking specifically about, like, let's talk specifically about the UK and Europe, but this is also happening in Canada and the United States and uh, Finland and Australia and some other places too. So this is happening all over the place. Um, lawmakers are worried that they don't really understand what's going on in this technology. And they don't want to take on the responsibility of governing these tech bodies. So instead, what they're saying is, if you have a platform of any kind, and someone does something illegal on that platform, you as the platform will be held liable for their work. Right? So if you, Jonathan, publish a social media network, and someone goes on that social media network and performs a crime, then the government will say, okay, Jonathan, because you didn't prevent it, I'm going to put you in jail or give you a fine. Right? And this is the government's incredibly hard-handed way of saying, stop being irresponsible about your product. We are going to punish you for it. The challenge in that is the same services are being used by people who need to be able to break rules to do things, right? 
So for example, if you live in a country with an oppressive regime in which publishing information about what the country, the regime is doing is illegal and punishable by death, which is something that is happening in several countries in the world right now, you need some way of communicating that information entirely um, without risk of being identified. Because if you're identified, then you die, right? So these social media networks and the, all these platforms are the give people the capability of doing this, but these laws would make it impossible for those platforms to do it because if someone then breaks a rule or breaks a law under the umbrella of an oppressive regime, then the, an argument could be made that since you're not allowed to break laws, we can now go after the company, right? And then it becomes a really tricky situation of saying, like, on, on the face of it, you can say, like, well, the world will agree that this particular country's rules are insane, right? Like, speaking, saying anything negative about the government equals death is not reasonable. So we're not going to enforce this. But what happens when you get a country that says something like publishing any uh, national security information is equal to prison for life and then starts classifying things like oil pipeline debates around First Nations groups as national security information, right? It's the slippery slope exists and it's very real in the circumstance. We so, um, we so, actually sorry to interrupt you, Milton. Yeah. We need to wrap up the podcast. Are you okay staying <laughs> on? Well, half an hour goes quick. Uh, um, are you okay staying on for a while? And, I have an um, hour for you, Jonathan. Yes, yes, thank you. And, no, there's um, no one deciding how long your podcast is. You can just do that yourself. <laughs> well, I do a transcript as well, um, and it gets a bit expensive if we go over half an hour. Uh, um, so I like to keep it around half hour. So Morton, um, Morton will be staying on. You'll be able to um, watch and listen to the extended version of this interview on the WP Tonic YouTube channel until I'm banned. That is uh, um, and <laughs> a bit of English sarcasm. Um, Morton. What is the best way for people to learn more and about some of the ideas that you've expressed in this podcast part of the show? Uh, follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, mm. It's the easiest. Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Morton Rand Hendrickson. There's only one with that ridiculous name, so it's easy to find. Uh, on Twitter, I am Morton, M-O-R-1-0, Morton, because that's my name. That's great. And Stephen... How can people find out more about you and your company? Yeah, head over to fish.io and run a speed test. See how much faster we can make your website. And Stephen and his company have been really helpful in making the WP Tonic website a bit more of a speed machine rather than just a middle-aged, loungy website. Uh, um, and he did a fantastic job. We'll be back next week with another great guest, Mike Walton. We'll see you soon. But do remember to go over to the YouTube channel and listen to the rest of this great interview. We'll be back soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.